Inbounds pass comes into Jordan. Here's Michael at the foul line. A shot on Elo. Good! The Bulls win! Playoffs? We'll talk about playoffs? You kidding me? I'm supposed to be the franchise player, and we're in here talking about practice. Hello? You play to win the game. They're down to the 20. All the band is out on the field. He's going to go into the end zone. I don't believe what I just saw. One of the all-time shockers. Hi, everybody. I'm Mitch Goldich, and welcome to episode two of my very creatively named Mitch Goldich podcast, where I talk to sports media people about sports media things. My guest today spent 21 years as a writer for the Philadelphia Inquirer, which includes the time when I was growing up in Philly and first becoming a baseball fan. You probably know him better from his last 15 years at ESPN, where he's now a senior baseball writer for ESPN.com and a frequent TV reporter and commentator. He is, of course, Jason Stark. Hello, Jason Stark. Hello there, Mitch. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. I'm I'm better now because I'm on your podcast. <laughs> I'm on. I, I didn't make episode one, huh? But episode two, I'll have to settle for that. Yeah, sorry about that. You were uh, <laughs> on the short list, but we we did. I wanted to sneak you in in the first uh, three shows here, so we got you. Um, thanks. I do appreciate you taking the time. We did get pushed back an hour because one of us had to be on SportsCenter today. And if anyone out there is wondering which one, I can give you a hint that it was not me. So. <laughs> Just another day in the life of me, pal. Yeah. Um, does that ever wear off? Is it still exciting to get the call to be on SportsCenter? Or at some point, is it just kind of like, okay, that's the job. That's what I do. <laughs> you know, look, I've had some days at ESPN where I felt this urge to clone myself. just because there were so many things to do and so many people who were, were trying to grab a little piece of me. But in general, I, you know, I love working there because – we tell the stories so many different ways. I mean, I, you know, I write columns, I write blogs, uh, I, I tweet, I Facebook, I Instagram, uh, I go on TV, I go on radio, I've written for the magazine, I, I do podcasts and video blogs, and I, mean, I could go on, I'm boring you now, but you know, that's kind of the way the world is now. Uh, nobody gets their information in any one way, and so I, I always felt like, Every different thing that you do and every way you tell the story challenges a different part of the brain. So one thing about life at ESPN, never dull. So you actually uh, stole the thunder a little bit for my next question. Which I, <laughs> you listed off all the things Sorry. that you do. I was about to list off all the different things that you do. And, I probably uh, missed a few, right? You've, uh, I'll, I'll look at my list. So you've written I, a few I've written books. a few books in there. Yeah, you, uh, you write game stories, especially I know a lot of times uh, in the playoffs you write some great – game stories. So from that whole list, uh, what's your favorite thing to do? The thing that you wake up in the morning and say, oh, good, I get to do this today. Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, I, I once heard one of my sports writing heroes, Bob Ryan from the Boston Globe, uh, talk about what it's like for a writer to be on TV. And he talked about how when he gets up in the morning and looks in the mirror, he still sees a writer no matter how much TV he does. And, and that's kind of me. You know, I, I love it all. I love all of it. Um, but most of all, I love to write. Uh, you know, I always, since I was a little kid, and there's, there's some tidbits about this in, in my Wild Pitches book, this is really what I wanted to do with my life. I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to be a sports writer. I wanted to write about baseball. And I, I realized... I recognize all the time how lucky I am 
that this actually happened to me in my real life, you know, because that doesn't happen to a lot of people. So, like, it's all cool. Uh, you know, working at ESPN, there's there's just so many great aspects to it. I, I mean, I, I don't know what people think of it from the outside. I, I look at it this way. I work with so many talented people, and every one of them goes into work every day thinking, all right, well, how can we do something great? It's an incredibly stimulating atmosphere to work in. Nothing better than working with people like that. Uh, so I love that part of it. Um, I, you know, because I get to go to baseball games for a living, I've seen some pretty incredible stuff, you know, stuff that people talk about for the rest of their lives. I was there and, uh, I consider myself really lucky to have done that. But my favorite thing about my job is still writing about baseball. Mm -hmm. So since you, uh, you bring up the fact that you've seen some cool games, you have a short list of the games that stand out, the coolest things you've seen or best games you've been to. Oh my God. How much, how long is this podcast? (laughs) A few minutes. (laughs) You know, uh, Somebody just asked me the other day, the, the, like you know, the greatest World Series game I've ever seen, and I mean that, that's hard too. I've seen some great ones, but and again, in my book, I've got I think what is a surprising nomination: uh, Game Six of the 2011 World Series, a game where the Cardinals trailed six different times and won, including in the ninth and tenth innings, and they won. Never done that in the history of their franchise. Never happened in any postseason game ever. And it was happened in a game where if they would have lost, they'd have been done. They'd gone home. Amazing. So that one's on there. The Game 7, 2001 World Series. Actually, that whole World Series, unbelievable. But Game 7, um, that Mariano Rivera walked to the mound um, and then not win the game, not seal the Yankees' fourth World Series in a row. I still get chills when I think about just how shocking that was in the atmosphere in that in that building. Um, look, I, I grew up in Philadelphia. I, I wouldn't consider myself to be a Phillies fan per se, uh, certainly not the way anybody uh, around me is, but I grew up here. I know what it means to people when when a team in Philadelphia wins, not that that happens much. And so, you know, I just – that crazy game in 2008 that took three days to play and ended with the, the Phillies winning the World Series and, and what that meant to so many people. I'll never forget that. I mean, I, I could really go on here for like <laughs> five hours, but you tell me when you want me to stop. That's Well, if that's the top three, that's good. I, I was going to say you succeeded in making me jealous because I remember exactly where I was watching the David Freeze game and the Luis Gonzalez, and then finally, I, one of those three, I was actually at the game as well. So, uh, yeah, you so were if, that's, if that's your top three, then you I... You know, uh... one, one more that I need to mention, even though it's a while back, is mm-hmm. the Kirk Gibson homer. Mm-hmm. You know, I just... Well, I, I keep thinking about that because it, it kind of sums up one of my favorite things about watching a, a, you know, a moment in baseball where that moment where all of a sudden it's like everything stops and the ball's kind of frozen in the, in the night, frozen in the sky. And your brain says to you, Holy crap. Look what's, a, look what's about to happen. You know, something you never could have envisioned happening is actually happening. And I think about that Kirk Gibson ball flying through the sky. And, you know, just that guy, there's no way he should ever have been at bat. 
Uh, Dennis Eckersley was the greatest relief pitcher in history. Uh, at least that year he was, right? And there was no way that that moment, that swing of the bat, that home run should ever have happened. And it did. And uh, like those moments, when you see that stuff, never forget it. I like that your reaction was, holy crap, it would have been good if Vince Scully had said that. <laughs> Don't you wonder sometimes what these play-by-play men would like to say? <laughs> yeah. If they, uh, Vince Scully did fine, by the way. Jack Buck did great. Yeah, they, both of them. They, yeah, that's, they caught, that's one of they the few, the moment, uh, all right. That's one of the few moments where there are two famous calls from the same play, and so and you see both of them on every uh, highlight yeah, reel of, of the right. moments. Both by legends. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so, so what's a normal night for you? Because you do so. You're this. We're taping during the day, and you were just on SportsCenter, and I'm assuming you do a lot of your writing during the day, but then a ton of the games are on at night. So, are you just always working? What's a a normal <laughs> night if if there are 15 <laughs> games on? Are you home watching all of them or trying to go to uh, one or focused on one what's what's your sort of day-to-day i don't have a normal day or a normal night you know it's kind of a, it's one of the fun things about the job but um every day something different could could come along now if i'm not at a ballpark um my wife would certainly testify uh, i like watch a lot of baseball we watch a lot of baseball in my house. My daughter actually, you know, works in baseball now. You can talk about that at some point if you want. And my son, my my other two kids have uh, have worked in baseball in in some way. It's which is cool. I mean, this is a real baseball household, so everybody gets into it. Even if like I'm tired of it, my wife will be the one to say, "Hey, is, is a game on?" It's like it's tremendous, right? So what I what I often will do is pick out a game and start watching that game, but then start bouncing around. And uh, very often I'll get sucked into another game or three other games, and then life gets pretty crazy, and you can't go to sleep. It's it's pretty ridiculous. Um, the other thing I do every single morning during the baseball season is wake up and watch video. Um, I've recorded every baseball tonight for like 20 years, <laughs> right? And I always wake up in the morning and watch baseball tonight. Uh, I will admit I watch the competition some too, uh, MLB Network when I when when that presents itself, because I never want to feel like I I don't know what happened last night in any game, every game. Um, so that's part of it, and I keep a daily logbook of of fun stuff, stuff that interests me, notes, stories, things to look up, ideas, uh, stuff to talk about, stuff to think about. Do that every day. And like that, that's how I start my day. And so it starts with watching baseball. Sometimes at six in the morning. Ends with watching baseball. Sometimes at one or two in the morning. It's not a bad life. There's just a lot of it. That's all. Yeah. Uh, so now I have to ask you about your logbook because I'm just curious what that is like. Because if you think about it, you know, 30 teams and they all have 25 players, and then three or five on the DL, and then the top prospects and coaches, managers, you know organization guys all you know it's like 1200 people to keep track of at some point so you know how how detailed is that how many are you just you know how many notes will you log in a day or you know what kind of <laughs> stories going on i'm just curious like how massive this thing is i mean i'm, I'm assuming right. it's on it you know you type it and it's on your computer but i'm just curious how big this is and how you keep track of all these different names and, and people well, I mean, now you, you, you're on the verge of learning stuff about me that you're really going to make fun of, you know, <laughs> really geeky stuff. We, 
and I've, most Thursday nights, um, Tim Kirch and Buster Alley and I, and you know Keith Law, Johnny Curry, revolving cast of characters, we do this scene head version of Baseball Tonight, um, which is rather than talk about baseball from an ex-player's perspective, we talk about it from a sports writer's perspective, and we, you know, we all do this this geeky stuff. Um, Tim and I are about as bad as it gets. I keep so I keep this logbook, and I, I'll probably go through like twelve or thirteen of them a season. All right, I just every day, um, just as I watch the games, watch the highlights, read about baseball, I just make notes to myself, and you know I'll, I'll put the, the 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 name of the like first I'll put the team in the margin, so I know what I'm looking at. And then jot down something that happened, uh, some stat to look up, something that, some trend I should think about. And then up on the top of the page, I have two columns. One where I, I, I put down story ideas, and uh, you know topics to talk about on the air. And the other stuff is just uh, stuff to look into deeper. So that just that that's just one book. But sadly, I keep three more. <laughs> I keep I keep a day by day book of every team. And how this, they did that. This night. sounds like this is by hand, or are you typing? By, this? I'll explain to you why in a minute. I okay. do keep it by hand, and then wow. uh, I also keep every team's starting pitchers and how they do every night during the season. Mm-hmm. And um, I, this is uh, this, look, this is absurd to do this. It's ridiculous to do this. <laughs> I, I know that that's true, but here's why I do it. Um, first off, I need to make myself pay attention to everything. I don't just, I'm not a fan and I'm not even like cover baseball. I don't cover one team or two teams. I cover 30 teams. And so I need to pay attention to all 30 of them. If I make myself write down how the Brewers did last night, how the Padres did last night, um, then I, I, like it forces me to pay attention to how they're playing how, you know, how they did, how many runs they've been scoring, uh, where they are in the standings, how hot they've been, how cold they've been. And I can refer back to that all the time. I know every team's starting rotation off the top of my head. Um, you know, I'm, I don't know if I'm proud of that, but it's necessary, right? So if, yeah. I'm, if I'm on the air, if I'm on your podcast, if I'm on television, if I'm on the radio, and somebody asked me this pitch, this, this question about, all right, if, how would the Twins line up if they got to October? I know what their rotation is, right? So I don't know how many people walk in the streets can know. I need to know. So all, a lot of this stuff I do, I do to make myself pay attention and to make myself, if I write it down, I, it feels like I burn it into my brain somehow. I, I don't know how to explain that, but that's why I do it. And I do refer back to a lot of this stuff all the time. And the logbook that's just be it's just to make me think you know I don't operate like this in in real life <laughs> you know like I'm, I'm I, I if I don't like carry around a little pad of paper with me so that if I think of something that I, some errand I need to run I write I write it down a little pad of paper I put stuff in my smartphones like other people um so you don't but, save you don't have years and years of your old grocery list <laughs> rich, saved stories <laughs> if anybody was a threat to do that it would be me or kirk but okay. no i don't have that but i do have years and years of these log books which i eventually will throw away but not before i go through them and see if there's anything worth saving yeah seriously i'm i'm, I'm it's a sad it's a pretty sad life i lead <laughs> 
No, it's. I mean, because so many people. I think so many people who are casual fans or even hardcore fans, they'll watch and they'll they'll see somebody on TV and they're like, "Oh, I could do this guy's job, or I could do this." So it's interesting to hear how much work goes into it to being that prepared on on all thirty teams. All right. Well, it's just. I mean, that's just stuff. That's just maintenance. You know, that doesn't include trips to the ballpark or or you know the the thousand phone calls or the texts or the emails. It doesn't include any of that. You're like all all you do in this line of work is keep gathering information and building relationships. And a cool thing about baseball is you never know it all. There's always something you can learn today. That's great. And then somehow you find time to tweet in between also. <laughs> well, tweeting is a big part of the job now. Yeah. Um, you know, I recognize that. It's uh, I'm, I'm a big Twitter fan and a big Twitter user. I try not to over-tweet. I'm, you know, I'm not going to tweet about what I had for lunch today. But if I have something I find amusing – something I find historic, something I find just quirky, uh, something that's newsy, something I wrote, something somebody else wrote, <laughs> I will tweet about it. That's what we do. That's just part of the job now. I, I'm not sure exactly uh, when it became part of the job, but I know that everybody at ESPN who was not on Twitter was told, you will be on Twitter, but I was one of the first. Mm-hmm. So... Uh... So I'm curious what your life becomes when the playoffs roll around, because now we're in mid-September, and uh, you know there are obviously less teams to keep track of. But you do more traveling, right? Will you do you sort of know in advance how much traveling you'll do, which series you'll be at, or you know does it kind of depend on the teams? How does how do, you know how do you uh, determine or how do they determine for you what your October looks like? Uh, well, I'll put it this way: right now I have hotel reservations in 15 different cities. <laughs> And uh, I don't think I have any in Cleveland, so I might have to add that. (laughs) Um, October is an awesome time. I love it, but it's so nuts. Um, You know, I've had a a couple of Octobers where I packed for the first place I was going, whether it was a wild card game or the division series, and then didn't make it home for a month. And so think about this. I've got a pack for 10 cities, and I don't know which ones I'm going to. It could be 80 degrees. It could be 20 degrees. It could be everything in between. Um, I need TV clothes and go to the ballpark clothes. What's that, business casual? No, not for me, right? <laughs> um I need just clothes to hang out in, clothes to work out in. Uh, I have all this work stuff I need to cart around. It, I, I, I call it the packing Olympics because <laughs> right? it's such a challenge. Yeah. You can only take so much stuff. You only have so much time to do laundry. You're always running from one city to the next, but you got to make it work somehow. It's really nuts. And then, I love October. I love it. I love writing about it, love being there, love seeing it, love feeling it. But, uh, you know, I coined this phrase that now everybody at ESPN uses, which is National Sleep Deprivation Month. <laughs> because it's just in time for sleep. Uh, you know, one of the things that I do, you mentioned how I, you know, I write these columns off these games. And, you know, I've got an advantage that, like, the, for example, the newspaper business doesn't have, and even television doesn't really have, is that I have time. Um, I work for a website. I write for the Internet. The Internet never closes. And so, you know, the newspaper 
crew, they might spend 10 minutes in the clubhouse. I can spend as much time as I want until they throw me out. I mean, my goal is to try to get, you know, the, the person I'm, I most want to write about or the, the hero of the game, central character of the game, all by myself or maybe with a couple other people and have a conversation, you know, not just um, use the, the, the same old quotes that everybody else uses. And then write something special, you know, look, you know, try to research, you know, has this ever happened? Has that ever happened? When's the last time that happened? And I, you know, two thirty in the morning, I could be sitting there trying to figure this stuff out. And, you know, I, it have been games in the postseason where like the sun was coming up when I got to bed. Um, the, uh, you said you went to the, uh, the 2008 world series, the Carlos Ruiz game that World Series, uh, he got that hit at like 2.47 a.m., right? Yeah, a long rain got, delay before the game started. Yeah, yeah. I got I, I got home that day. At, I know the sun was, the sun had peaked up uh, above the uh, the horizon, so it was like 6.30, 6.40 a.m. That was good. <laughs> um, that didn't, a lot of nights after the last game of the World Series, because it's such a madhouse, you don't get to talk to anybody for like an hour two hours after the game because they're busy celebrating or whatever they're doing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've, I've had nights like that where I go to bed and it's light out uh, or I stay up and do Mike and Mike and then go to bed. Or, I mean, it, it's really crazy. It's a crazy life. Crazy. But I love it. And here's, what I, here's how I always describe my job. I love to tell people it's a labor of love, but it's a good thing because it's a lot of labor. <laughs> And then November, you sleep or hibernate. Is that that? Uh, I, my preference is to try to join the witness protection program. Okay. <laughs> but it's not always possible. But yeah, no, no, November is a time to lay low. I mean, the off season eventually cranks up again, and you got to you know you got to be there with it. You got to you know got to ride that roller coaster too. But nothing's as crazy as October. Even driving four thousand miles around Florida in spring training. So you're not a Phillies fan, but it sounds like it must be nice when they do make a deep run and you can at least sleep in your own bed and, and uh, maybe travel a little bit less. <laughs> you know, maybe. it's nice to have home games, see yeah. the family, you know, uh, re- remember where it is you do live. I mean, all that stuff's good. Um, but it, in some ways, it can be overrated, too. Um, I mean, you know, I talk about, like, what time I go to sleep. All right? if I, you know, if I get home at 3 in the morning, 4 in the morning, whatever it turns out to be, uh, life in my household does not adjust to my schedule. I mean, the phone's ringing at 8, 8.30. People are running around and, you know. <laughs> so there's even more sleep deprivation if the Phillies are involved, but I don't think I have to worry about that for a while. Okay. Yeah, no, no, it doesn't sound like it. Uh, so I do want to ask you about, because you, you worked in Philly for so long and still live in the area, and uh, now you, you're at ESPN and you're covering every team, so it's sort of interesting what happens to you, your relationship with the Philly fans and sort of what happens when there is a story in Philly. So I, I hate to make you repeat yourself, but you told me a story a couple of years ago that probably a lot of people don't know uh, that I think is a good story. It's about the day that Charlie Manuel was fired. And <laughs> you said that uh, it was like your first or second day off in, in yeah. months. And then this news drops while you're at the beach. I was wondering if you could just uh, walk me through what that day was like and uh, sort of if, if that kind of shows what it's like for you when something happens in Philly. Yeah, you know, I, I was kidding last week when I was up in Bristol. It was the day Ruben Amara got fired, and 
I was kidding everybody, you know, who wanted to talk to me. I was kidding that they, I was just on there because I was the token Philadelphian. But when, when there is a big Philadelphia baseball story, if it is possible for me to write it, they would like me to write it or, you know, go on air and talk about it or whatever. So the day Charlie Manuel got fired, um, it was August of 2013. That sounds right, doesn't it? So. And um, all right, so that means i just come through the insanity of the trading deadline, which is just the craziest, most dreaded time of the year. And right after the trading deadline ends, usually you can breathe. But that year, we were also waiting for the Alex Rodriguez suspension to come down. And so the trading deadline came and went, and I thought I was heading home, and uh, basically they told all of us who were in, in Bristol covering the trading deadline, we need you to stay because when the A-Rod story drops, we're just going to interrupt programming and talk about it live forever. So I couldn't leave, right? I came home for one day to go speak at the Sabre Convention and went running right back there. And so this had gone on. All right, so the A-Rod thing we waited over a week and a half for, if I remember right, uh, which then proceeded by three weeks of trading deadline craziness. So I'd had, you know, I'd, I'd had no days off and no sleep and, you know, absurd amount of, of, of work and writing and TV. And I'm not complaining about it. It just was what it was, right? For, and it just had gone nonstop for over a month. And then finally, it was over. And life went back to normal. And they said, take a few days off. And so... Uh, it was, I guess, a Friday, I believe. And so my wife and I packed up our stuff, went to the beach, live an hour from the beach, right? Went and grabbed lunch, set up our beach chairs. We're sitting there eating our lunch. I finished my lunch. I leaned back in my chair. This is, this is a true story. And 45 seconds later, my phone started blowing up because Charlie Manuel was getting fired. And so I needed to stay off, you know, I needed it. <laughs> so I was I was on the phone with one of my editors saying, "What do you what should I do? You think I should go? You think I should stay?" And while I'm having this conversation and we're trying to think it through, my wife, one of the great baseball wives, media wives in the history of marriage, is just shaking her head packing up all our stuff and she literally starts walking through the car. <laughs> she knows how this, she knows how this is turning out. She knows it before I know it. And so I got in the car and drove back to Pennsylvania and worked. Because so that's what we do. If it's any other team, do you stay in the chair and or it, it's just the the Phillies were the only team that you think you would have yeah, if it, it I mean it would depend on what it was. I can't say if it was any other team, but yeah. If it was just another manager, just uh, another team, um, there, you know, we at least could have talked about this makes sense for somebody else to do. Um, but this was one that made sense for me to do, and everybody knew it, and my wife knew it, and I knew it, and so that's <laughs> that's how it turned out, man. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. So what is? Uh... You know, your relationship with the Philly fans, I mean, I'm sure uh, that's a huge part of your following and you hear from them on Twitter. What's uh, Does that ever become a challenge for you, having to weigh that with other things that you'd like to do? Well, you know, it's it's interesting, and it was something that I wrestled with when I first got to ESPN. But, you know, here's how I, I eventually worked through this. 
um, you know, I was lucky enough to work for years with one of my heroes, Peter Gammons, the guy who made my entire life possible, right? We worked together at ESPN, and you know and I know where Peter's from. He's Boston. from Boston, right? Yeah. Does he ever pretend he's not? Does he ever act like he's not interested in the Red Sox or that people in New England don't care what he thinks about the Red Sox? Never acts that way because he knows they do. He just accepts that as reality, as part part of the deal of his life, his times, his job. And when I finished processing all that, I realized that I probably need to do that in Philadelphia too. Now, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that happens now in Philadelphia baseball that if I was still working at the Inquirer, it'd be a much bigger deal. And I'd have, you know, there'd be a lot more days like the Charlie Manuel Beach Day. Um, there's a lot of stuff I let slide. But I do a lot of radio in the Philadelphia area. Um, I still, I know that I still have a following in Philadelphia. Uh, you know, I wound up writing a book about the Phillies winning the World Series in 2008 just because of that connection. Um, not because I set out to do that. And so I, I spent most of my life living in Philadelphia and I understand how people in Philadelphia think and what they feel and, and, and what all this means to them. There's nothing wrong with letting them know. I notice, you know, that's where I look at it. And, you know, here's another story about that. Um, here's really how I came to write that book on the Phillies one in the world series in 2008, you know, um, there have been years the Phillies were in the postseason and I didn't wind up following them all the way through, just kind of the way it worked out. But that year I wrote, a, I, I covered, saw, wrote about every game that they played in that postseason. And I, and I started getting uh, email from people thanking me, you know, thanking me for telling that story the way Philadelphians see it, not the way people outside of Philadelphia, see Philadelphia and Philadelphians. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, the, the people uh, appreciated that I got it. And then they wound up winning the World Series. My daughter wanted to go to the parade, so we went to the parade. And, you know, like everybody else, we had a just ridiculous travel nightmare trying to get there, abandoned our car, wound up on the subway. So uh, after the parade, we were on the Broad Street subway, and a guy on the subway car recognize me and so he, he started fishing his way through the car and he, he came up to where we were standing and he hugged me and I swear Mitch he was like crying he was in tears and he just he, he gave me this speech about again about just thanking me for what I did and all I did was you know I told the story of, of something amazing that happened, but he experienced it and he connected with it. And he, he said, you should take all those columns that you wrote and put them in a book. I'd read it. I'd buy it. And so um, I started thinking about it. And by the time I got home that night, I, I realized there was a book there. And so the book wasn't just a compilation of columns. Uh, there was obviously more to it than that. But um, that became the basis for a, a pretty good chunk of the book anyway. I, that, was our, that was on a Friday. On Monday, I called a bunch of publishers you know, just kind of figured I'd better spring into action uh, to see who was interested. I were all interested. Uh, Triumph Books, who I'd worked with in the past, said, you know, we'll figure out a way to get it out by spring training. And so we had a deal, and I was writing a book, and just because a guy hugged me on the subway. That's amazing, yeah. <laughs> you know, so that's that's kind idea, of, that yeah. doesn't happen. Um, 
anywhere else. You know, doesn't happen in San Francisco. Yeah, that's uh, that's a great story. Um, so I'm also curious just how often you get uh, if you get any abuse or, or get accused of bias from any other fan bases because I know that's something I see all the time. Working at SI uh, in social, we'll post something and everybody thinks, you know, everything's biased and people, you know, it's sort of the Joe Buck thing is famous where when right. he's calling a game, both teams think he's biased against their team. So do you ever hear from other fans when you're writing about the Phillies or writing about anyone else? How, how often do you get accused of, uh, of favoring one team over another? Every day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. You know, East Coast bias uh, or anti-this bias or... You know, just like you, you, every day you could tweet back at somebody, you're right, I hate your team. Yeah. Right? I don't. <laughs> I really don't. I don't hate any team. I don't root for any team. I don't root against any team. Uh, I promise you this is true. Um, you know, like I could get my wife on this podcast. She could tell you that, you know, just for all the people who think I'm some kind of rabid Phillies fan, if the Phillies lose, a, you know, a big game, I'm assuming that most – Rabbit Philly fans are knowing what I know about them. They're they're mad at somebody. They can't sleep. They need to call a talk show. I mean, it it doesn't change my life if the Phillies or any Philadelphia team wins or loses. I promise you, this is true. And I, I tell people all the time: um, if the Rays had won the 2008 World Series, I would have been thrilled to tell that story. Would have been just as great a story. Um, it wouldn't have meant the same thing to people in Philadelphia. But it was a great story. And then, like, people in Philadelphia got mad at me in 2009 when I wrote all this glowing stuff about the Yankees winning the World Series. Never right. occurred to them I would do that, you know? <laughs> but I, I, I don't go into any, the World Series or any, any game or any series rooting for any team, you know? I just I root for something great to happen that I can write about and tell people about for the next 20 years. And so soon after the book, you're a traitor at that point in 2009. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, uh, people still buying that book, so I'm happy. <laughs> okay, that works. Can I ask you a little bit about uh, your thoughts? I mean, the the season's winding down. Do you mm. have uh, thoughts about? Is it too early for a prediction? But uh, or maybe how about just storylines you're excited about? Um, stories that you think could be huge this uh, this coming October. Well, there's no story that could be bigger than the Cubs, mm-hmm. right? There's no story. Um, uh, the, the Cubs are going to play baseball in October. That's already a huge thing. Um, they've got a really good chance to have Jake Arrieta win that wild card game, and then off they go. And when you have a team that hasn't won in over a century, uh, that's a pretty good tale. So I'm really excited about seeing what happens, where it leads, how people react. Uh, be and that'll be tremendous. Um, the Mets are an unbelievable story. I don't know how far they're going, but you've got the the Uena Cespedes plot line. You've got the how much will Matt Harvey pitch plot line. You have this team that's made this incredible metamorphosis in the midseason. Um, did a did a blog that, that that showed that there's never been a team that had the worst offense in this league for four months and then had the best offense in this league the last two months. Uh, uh, other than some weird Indians team 30 years ago that lost 100 games. Um, so the Mets are different. The Cardinals always a great story. And then you've got what's happening in Toronto, um, where they haven't played a postseason game since Joe Carter's home run landed. And you've got what's happening in Kansas City, where uh, one of the great 
dormant baseball towns in America has been reawakened by this team and their love affair with this team. And they've had the best record in, in, in their league virtually all season. And now people are incredibly nervous about the way they're, the way they're playing. Johnny Cueto, where it's leading. So many great plot lines in October. Really can't wait. So let's say there's a, a Cubs-Cardinals series, which would be oh, awesome, I'm sure. Awesome. And then there's also, let's say, like Twins-Rangers or Twins-Astros. Is there any chance are you able to say, hey, I'd love to be at that uh, Cardinals-Cubs game? Or, <laughs> you know, what, what are the odds? How does that work? They assign, you know, because somebody, you know, somebody has to be in the ballpark at Target Field and, and maybe misses an unbelievable night at Wrigley. So how does that work, uh, you know, trying to figure out where you're going to be and who's where? Well, um, I, I generally cover the National League festivities, and my friend Jerry Krasnick, who also lives in Philadelphia, um, covers the uh, the American League. And then we, we also have all these uh, these local writers who cover individual teams and other baseball writers, and so we, we divvy it up. But, um, you know, we, we just kind of talk it through. I, I wouldn't get to say I pick and choose where, where I go. That would be easy, but we do it, you know, with some eye on geography and travel and schedule and, and who's where and how the pieces all fit together. But, you know, I, I just caution you against thinking that just because somebody's covering twins Astros, that would be a bad job. Um, you know, like a decade ago, I covered a fantastic seven game series between the Cardinals and Astros. It just happened to be going on at the same time that a fantastic seven-game series between the Yankees and Red Sox was going on. And I always say it's it's the greatest series nobody remembers because everybody was talking about the Yankees and Red Sox. But what I saw was amazing. And, you know, the people who, who watched that series, they're still talking about it. We saw some fantastic stuff. So, you know, wherever I wind up going, I'm happy to be there. Something great will happen. I'll be happy to tell the story, write about it, talk about it. You're not going to get any complaints from me about where I wind up in October. Yeah, any of those uh, 15 cities plus Cleveland. So <laughs> 16. I mean, that's yeah. amazing. That's more than that's more than half the league that you're uh, that you're prepared to go to and, and booked up. So I, I you know. just, just let's just hope I don't forget to cancel. The uh, the second wild card uh, makes makes traveling so much more difficult because otherwise there would be a ton of teams that would be out already. Ah, uh, whatever. Yeah. It's never easy. Part of the adventure. <laughs> Adds a few more cities to the to the reservation list. That's all. <laughs> nice, great. Well, thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. Always good to chat with you, and I I thought this was great to have you on. I definitely appreciate it. I appreciate it, man. I hope I didn't make myself sound like too much of a nerd. I really <laughs> do. Uh, I actually am fairly normal, and I really do love what I do. And <laughs> I, I I do have a life outside of covering baseball. You just never know it. That's all. <laughs> okay. Well, that's uh, good to know. So thanks, uh, thanks everybody else who's listening, who uh, especially for making it this far in. Uh, if you want to follow Jason Stark on Twitter, he's at uh, at Jason St. and that's uh, Jason with a Y, so J A Y S O N S T on Twitter. You can also follow me on Twitter if you're so inclined. I'm at Mitch Goldich, M I T C H G O L D I C H. Uh, you can also, if you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe on iTunes. You can give a rating or a review. You can visit my website, MitchGoldich.com, to check out future episodes. And I'm sure I'll have everything posted there and on Twitter as well. So once again, uh, thank you very much to Jason Stark, and I'll talk to all of you guys again soon.